please open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3 is where we're going on today. Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 6 to get us started in your own private time with God. Uh, read all of Acts chapter 3. It makes up the context of what I know God will have for me to share with you on today. Acts chapter 3, verse 6. This is the New King James Version. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I want to talk about get up. That's what I want to deal with today. Get up. Some of us have been down too long, been depressed too long, been dismayed too long, disillusioned for too long, and the Lord told me to tell you it is time to get up. It was a few years ago I was preaching in, in Brooklyn, New York, at the Bethany Church. That's where Dr. David Hampton had pastored for a while. And I used to go down, and I, I guess I preached their revival two or three years in a row and did some other things uh, for that church. And um, so uh, one night, the last night of the revival, one of the men of the church walked up to me and said, Pastor, we know, we know you like stories because you tell stories all the time. You tell illustrations all the time. And I have an illustration for you. I got a story I want to share with you. I said, okay, well, tell me what you, what you got. He said, my son was talking about how tired he was this week. And I said, well, how old is your son? He said, he's 13 years old, and he was talking about how tired he was. And I asked my son, why are you so tired? And he said, his son told him, because we've been taking all of these altitude tests, and uh, these altitude tests are wearing me out, and that's why I'm tired, because of all of these altitude tests. And the father said that, his son misunderstood the teacher that these were not altitude tests these are aptitude tests aptitude tests to test your readiness to learn to uh, to test your ability to grasp concepts to test your capability of learning but the son took it to mean altitude and really it was aptitude that's also tied to your altitude and um, that's what I got out of it. His son was right. That aptitude and your attitude is inextricably tied into your altitude. And some of us don't get to the altitude and the heights and the places that God has designed for us because we don't get our attitude straight. That aptitude, that uh, the, the ability to learn, the ability to, to be open to what God is seeking to pour in your life, the readiness to grasp it. But when you get your aptitude straight and your attitude straight, I believe God will add to your altitude. And the Lord told me to tell you, you've been down long enough. Change your attitude because it's time for you to get up. In Acts chapter 3, this is... Peter and John, of course, we know these are disciples of Jesus. These are apostles. And Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. This is, in Acts chapter 2, we already looked at, it was the birth of the church. And the church at its birth is the church at its best. The 120 in the upper room, the disciples 
on one accord and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. All of them got filled with God's Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to do so. And people began to hear God's word in their own language, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's love and the sacrifice that the Lord has made, and to hear it in their language where they can understand it. And 3,000 of them accepted Jesus as their personal Savior and got baptized in the name of Jesus. And they began to pray together. They began to fellowship. They were taking the Lord's Supper, remembering the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they were so moved by what the Spirit was doing until they began to sell their possessions. They were so generous that they would bring their resources and lay it at the apostles' feet so that everybody that was connected to that ministry, that all of their needs had, had been met. And right after that, the Lord would add to the church every day those who were being saved. Then chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. And, and I love this because they've been filled with the Spirit. They spoke in another language that they had not been educated, but had the revelation to speak in, not the education. Their souls were being saved, lives were being changed, and Peter and John were still going to church. They weren't sitting around talking about, I've walked so close with Jesus that I don't need the church. Instead of trying to give an excuse to be disconnected from the church, they became an example of how important it is to go to church. And on their way to church, and, and verse 1 says, it was at the time of prayer. Now Peter, verse 1, Acts 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The Hebrew people had at least three different times that they would go to pray. They would pray at 9 a.m., they would pray at noon, and then they would pray at 3 in the afternoon. This is at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And it didn't mean that, that they didn't pray at other times. It just meant that at these times, we know we're going to be praying. And they had set aside a particular period of time that we're going to talk to God. And they had set aside a particular place that we're going to pray. It didn't mean they didn't pray at home. It didn't pray on their job. It didn't mean they didn't pray in other places. It just meant that we're going to set aside a place where we go to pray. And then they had prayer partners. Here's what I want to get across to us. That if Peter and John needed a particular period of time to pray, a particular place to pray, and a prayer partner. This is Peter and John. This is the same Peter and John that when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he put everybody out of the house except the parents, and Peter, James, and John. This is that Peter and John that on the Mount of the Transfiguration when the glory of God was shining through Jesus Christ and Elijah and Moses would meet Jesus on that mountain and all the other disciples were at the foot of the hill and Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. This is that Peter and John. And in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was praying as he's getting ready to down the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And he only took three disciples into that garden with him. Peter, James, and John. This is that Peter and John. If they needed 
to set aside a particular period of time to pray and a particular place to pray and to get a prayer partner. What makes you and I think we don't need to do that? That we're so holy and we're so spiritual that that's not necessary. No, we need a place. And what better place to pray than the house of God? Matter of fact, Jesus said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And then we need to set aside some time that this is God's time. It doesn't mean that we can't pray other times, and, but there are some times that I just know at this particular hour, I'm going to be speaking to my Lord. And if Peter needed a prayer partner and John needed a prayer partner, you and I need to, we need to get somebody who will hold us accountable with our praying. Did you pray today? Did you spend time in God's presence? And if just two people can come together and touch and agree, Jesus will show up in the midst of that. And here they were, and as they were praying, making their way to the house of God, there was a man that was there who had been lame, the text said, from his mother's womb. He was born without the ability to walk. He had a physical disability. He was, he was broken. Matter of fact, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, and Luke is a, is a, he's a physician. He's a medical doctor. So the writer of the book of Acts is a medical doctor. That's why he's so specific and so detailed when he starts talking. And he said that this man's issue was in his feet and in his ankles. His feet and his ankles were weak. His feet and his ankles were broken so that he could not walk. And he was laid every day at this gate called Beautiful, which is right outside the temple. Right outside the house of God, there is a gate called Beautiful, and there's a man that's broken there. It's a beautiful place, but he's still broken. Because just because we end up in beautiful environments doesn't mean that we're not dealing with broken people. This is a beautiful sanctuary. We've built several beautiful sanctuaries, but I'm not under the illusionment that somebody in here is not broken. I mean, somebody, you, you woke up this morning in bed with a beautiful man or a beautiful woman, and then you got yourself together and put on some beautiful clothes, and then you jumped into a beautiful car, and you pulled away from a beautiful house, and then you came coming through a beautiful city, and you walked into a beautiful facility, and you sit next to a beautiful person, and you're looking at a beautiful person speaking. <laughs> but I'm not under the illusionment that somebody's not broken. That he's fractured. He's shattered. He's so broken that he cannot walk. It's, and it's not just physical. Yo, when we read, it is physical. This is a historical situation that took place. But it's not just physical, it's spiritual. This is Luke trying to tell us that just as this man was physically broken, that some of us are spiritually broken. That something is not quite right with our walk with God. And then he's broken socially in the first century that they wouldn't even allow people with disabilities in certain areas and certain places and all. They thought that they were cursed of God. Now we know in the 21st century that that's not the case, that it, even if somebody is disabled physically, it doesn't mean that they're not able in every other area. 
So he's, he's, he's broken socially because of that culture and their lack of understanding as to what God is all about. And, and he's broken financially. So they wouldn't allow him to work. That's why he's out there begging. So he's, he's broken financially. He can't go get a job because that culture that he lived in didn't understand that just because I can't walk doesn't mean I can't do some other things. And then I believe that, and I, I don't think this is too much of a stretch, that he's broken mentally. I believe that our, our bodies and our minds are so closely related until they catch each other's diseases. And when you find yourself broken physically like that, for all of those years, and some suggest he was as much as 40 years old, so for 40 years being laid out there having to beg, and if you're not careful, that brokenness will mess with your mind. And this afternoon, whether in this beautiful place or somebody streaming, somebody is shattered, is fractured, is broken, just like this man in this text. And he's at the gate, beautiful, because that's where the temple is. And he's, he's out there begging because he's become one of the best beggars in the Bible. He's strategic in his begging. Look at where he situates himself in order to get somebody to give him something. He's outside the, he's outside the, the, the house of God. He's strategic. Look at the time he's there. He's there at the time of prayer. So he's thinking, these folk going to church, and they get ready to go in here and ask God for something. And if they're going to church to ask God for something, how are they going to turn me down if I'm asking them for something? How can they expect to receive something from God when they don't give anything to anybody else? So he's, he's, he's one of the best beggars in the Bible. He's strategic in his begging, and he's consistent in his begging. Because it says that he would beg every day. He wouldn't miss a day of begging. So if it was sunshine or cloudy, he would be out there begging. If it was sunshine or raining, he's still out there begging. If it was cold or hot, he's begging. If it's cool or warm, he's begging. He wouldn't miss a day because his brokenness caused him to be one of the best beggars in the Bible. He's strategic in his begging. He's persistent in his begging. He's consistent in his begging because of his brokenness. Here's what I want you to understand. That this is the implication. He's a Hebrew person. And the Hebrews, I already told you, are under the oppression of the Roman government. So they're oppressed, suppressed, depressed, they're dealing with social injustice and all the things that come with that because that they are Hebrew. That's the, that's, the only, that's the only reason why they're under attack like that. And out of that, the man is so broken until he can't walk right. That's what Luke is trying to say to us. That when we look at oppression and suppression and depression and racism and discrimination and social injustice and all the stuff that's going on in this world and the political corruption and the insanity in this world, that some of us don't walk right. Because of that, we've allowed it to break. No, he was broken. It was broken when he got here. 
there was nothing he did to cause it to be broken. When he was born, it was broken. Yo, I didn't, you know, I didn't originate racism. It was broke when I got here. I didn't have anything to do with discrimination. It was broken when I got here. I didn't cause social injustice. I didn't cause the, the things that we're seeing in the times that we're living in. I, it was broken when I got here, and if I'm not careful, it will have me sitting on the side of the road begging other folk to carry me because it look at how broken this thing is, and if y'all don't give me something, I ain't going to be able to make it. And then here comes Peter and John, looks at this man and says, you've been down long enough. It's time for you to get up. But if this man is going to get up, he's going to first have to refocus his attention. I want to, I want to read verse 4 to you, and I really should have put verse 4 and 5 up here. In verse 4 it says, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us so he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them if you're here's, here's what's going on if he's going to get up from this broken situation the social injustice he's dealing with the oppression he's up against psychologically emotionally all the stuff he's dealing with financially if you're going to get up you have to refocus your attention because what he's asking from them I need y'all to give me some money. Look at how messed up my stuff is. And I ain't going to be able to make it if y'all don't give me some money. If y'all don't give me some of your resources, if y'all don't give me some of the wealth you have, then I'm not going to be able to make it. And then Peter says, we're going to help you, but we ain't going to help you the way you think you need help. And the only way you're going to get the help so that you can get up from this is to refocus your attention. Y'all got to get this. He's expecting change from them, but he's not looking at change in himself. I know I'm using a play on words. He's expecting alms from them. He's expecting charity from them. Do you have any change? Like somebody, I'm walking downtown Indiana. Do you have 51 cent? 51 cent? They expect change from me. And I'm trying to figure out how can we get a change in you? You got to refocus your attention that you're looking for a hand out and Peter's trying to offer you a hand up because before it's all over, Peter reaches down not to give him a hand out but to give him a hand up. I got to, I got to refocus your attention because what you think you need is not really what you need. That this is not just about finance, this is about you getting on your feet. And if I can get you on your feet, you won't need my finance, you can go make your own finance. But I gotta refocus your attention. This is not you trying to get to my wealth, this is you trying to work. But I can't get you to work till I get you to walk. And I can't get you to walk until I get you to refocus your attention and start looking at this a little differently. When people come to our care center and they're asked, can you help, can you help me pay my rent? Yes and no. Yes and no. Here's because we look at it holistically. 
you, you need money to help you pay your rent. Yes, okay. Did you lose your job? Is this about a sickness? Is this a relationship issue? It, is this an emotional, psychological issue? Something is not quite right because you can't pay your rent. But it's more than you paying your rent. Because if all I do is help you pay your rent, that's going to come up again in 30 days. Are y'all getting any of this? So we're trying to get you to refocus your attention that it's not just throwing money at your problem. Because if I throw money at your problem, you still, in the, you still got the same problem. If I throw money at your condition, you still got the same condition. Y'all, there are some things that money can't do. I mean, we all appreciate money. Some of us even love money. Now, I don't love it, but I do like it a lot. I got it, man. I like Because money gives you options. So, and y'all ain't got to look at me like that, because some of y'all like it a lot, too. But I've learned in all of these years, there's some things money can't do. And just throwing money at some of our issues is not going to change it. Y'all, because there's some, there's some stuff that can happen in your life and mine. I don't care how much money you have, you can't buy your way out of it. Because money can buy a house, but it can't buy a home. Money can buy wall-to-wall carpeting, but it can't buy wall-to-wall joy. Money can buy you a refrigerator full of food, but it can't buy you an appetite to eat. Money can buy you a nice SUV, but it can't buy you a peace of mind while you drive down the street in it. Money can buy you some nice shoes, but it can't buy you the desire to walk. Money can buy you a big king-size bed with a gold headboard and gold footboard, but money can't buy you a good night's sleep. Money can buy you a house, but it can't buy a home. Money can buy sex, but it can't buy love. There are some things money just can't do. So he's saying, Peter's saying, I got to, if I'm going to get, help you to get up from this, I got to, I got to make sure that I refocus your attention. In the name of Jesus Christ, Rise up and walk. And the reason why he has the power to do it in the name of Jesus, because he just came out of prayer. Man, when, when Lady Sharon and I, a couple of years ago, we were over in Israel, and uh, we went to where the temple, I believe the temple got torn down in AD 70 by the Romans, but you still go there and you see the, the, the residue of the temple that was there. And there's a wall over there that's called, uh, some people call it the Wailing Wall. It's the Great Western Wall. And thousands and thousands of people every day show up at the Western Wall to pray. And you can't, you can't get near it till you cover your head in honor to God. And they got sheets of paper and pens and pencils out there that you can write your prayer down and stick it in the wall as you pray to God. Because... They're trying to help us to understand that if we're so broken that we can't walk right, we got to refocus our attention because it may not be, the answer may not be throwing money at it, but learning how to pray, learning how to refocus to know that the issue is not finance, the issue is me getting on my feet. And if I can just get on my feet, I don't have to depend on somebody else to carry me. And so he, he, says, he says, you got to get up. Now, with this, with this get up, it's not just refocusing attention, 
but it is, it's, it's also raising your expectation. Because at first it says that he was expecting something from them. Well, what he was expecting from them, give me some money, give me some change. But Peter said, no, we're going we gonna to raise your expectation. That right now, you're so broken, you cannot walk right. And in order for you to get to the next level, Peter said, look at us, look on us. You got to be able to see other folk who are already where you're trying to go, right? So your expectation is going to change that no matter how bad things have been in my life that fractured me so much that I cannot walk, that now I have the expectation that it can happen in my life. And until you have that level of expectation, it'll never happen in your life. So he's, he's born broken. He hasn't been able to walk. Peter says, now I'm going to make it in the name of Jesus so that you can do this, but you got to raise your expectation to know that it can happen in your life. That, that if you think you can, you can. And if you think you can't, you can't. Either way, you're right. So if you, if you think you can get out of poverty, you can get out of poverty. If you think you can't get out of poverty, you can't get out of poverty. If you think you can get that degree or another degree, you can get another degree. If you think you can't, then you can't. If you think your marriage can be turned around, then your marriage can be turned around. If you think your marriage can't be turned around, then your marriage can't be turned around. I'm going to keep going till I get to where y'all living. Just, that there, you, you're, either way, you're right. And it's based on your expectation. That's what hope is all about. Hope is the expectation that God can make it better. Hope is the expectation that God can heal me. Hope is the expectation that God can deliver me. Hope is the expectation that I can get up from this situation and walk the way I'm supposed to walk. But it's, it's tied into me raising my expectation for myself. Luke said, the problem is in his feet and ankles. Peter said, the answer is in his head. Here's the problem. He can't walk. Why can't he walk? Because his feet and his ankles are weak. This man is broken. He, he was born broken. He got here broken. And then here comes Peter saying, raise your expectation because I believe you can walk. But in order for him, the problem's in his feet, but the answer is in his head. And if we can get, if we're going to get him to stand on his own two feet, first we got to get it in his head. And once you get it in his head, then he'll be able to, okay, y'all got to get this thing. Um, oh, oh, I, I told y'all about uh, the 13-year-old with the altitude test. And it's really an aptitude test or an attitude test to get him to a certain altitude. And so the next day after I finished preaching there, the next day I'm flying from LaGuardia in New York to fly back to Indianapolis, and the pilot comes over the sound system and says, we've just reached 35,000 feet. We're flying at an altitude of 35,000 feet. And that story that man told me about his son immediately came back to my mind. Because I'm, now I realize you can't fly at 35,000 feet altitude if you haven't had passed that aptitude test. Now, only do pilots have a certain amount of 
hours in the air, they got a certain amount of hours on the ground in a simulator. And they simulate flying, and they simulate wind conditions, and they simulate a storm, and they simulate rain while you're on the ground. Now, if you don't have the right aptitude, the readiness to learn, and the capability to grasp the concepts while you're on the ground, they're not going to let you at 35,000 feet. So you can't get to that altitude if you don't have the right attitude where you are right now. If you can't handle the level you own now, then why would God put you at a higher level? It, what is your attitude now? Because some people act like your storms go away when you get to the next level. No, they don't go away, just different storms. It's just a different situation. Our charismatic brothers and sisters say, for every new level, there's a new devil. So you start facing stuff you ain't seen before. But so if you can't handle the level you on now, that's the simulator. What you're going through now, you think, oh, this is so. No, you're just in the simulator now. And if you don't have the right aptitude and attitude, why would God take you to a higher altitude? Okay, y'all didn't get that. Um, how can I explain this? Oh, when, when I... I, I, I used to go up to Arlington High School when it was a high school because that's where I graduated from. And so I would go up there and they wanted me to talk to students and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I asked them, well, what do you, you, you know, when you finish with high school, what do you, you want to do? What's your career goal? And some of them talk about, well, I want to be a physician. I want to be a doctor. Well, you cut biology class all last week. <laughs> I'm trying to show you all something. If you can't have the right aptitude and attitude at the level you own, then don't think you're going to go to the altitude of what you're thinking about trying to get there. So if uh, some, somebody's saying, uh, well, you know, I want to I get married and I want to have a healthy marriage and a healthy relationship. I don't want my marriage being like everybody else's marriage, whatever that means. And, uh, but I want my marriage to be great and wonderful. And great. Okay, but you, you mistreated a woman on a date last night. And if you can't treat a woman right in a nighttime, why would God give you one of his daughters for a lifetime? You got to handle the level you own right now before God seeks to take you to a whole nother level. Well, I want to own my own business. I want to be the, the chief executive officer of my own business and my own company, my own corporation. Yeah, but you've been late for work every day this week. If you can't, y'all didn't say amen to that one. If you can't, Handle where you are at the level you own. Why do you think God's going to take you to a higher altitude? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm just praying and trusting that God's going to help me to make $100,000 a year. You won't tithe and you're making $10,000 a year. And God already knows if I can't get you to tithe $1,000 when you're making ten, I certainly can't get you to tithe $10,000 when you're making hundred. Because people say, no, you know, if I was making that kind of money, then I would tithe. No, y'all, here's what the Bible says. If you're faithful over a few things, God will make you ruler over many things. Here's, here's the principle. Whatever you do when you have a few, that's what you're going to do when you have a lot. So whatever you do when you got a little, that's the same thing you're going to do when you have a lot. If you mess up your money when you got a little, you're going to mess it up when you got a lot. So God is saying if you can't handle the level you're on, why would I take you to a whole nother level?
It's about raising your expectation that I can be the child of God God wants me to be. I can be the man God has designed for me to be. I can be that woman, that husband, that wife, that businessman, that businesswoman. I can be that kind of Christian. I can do it. But if you say you can't, then you can't. But you got to raise your expectation even in the face of oppression, even in the face of social injustice, Peter said, raise your expectation. It's time for you to go to another level where you're not depending on other folk to do for you what you ought to be doing for yourself. But you got to, the issue is in your head. It's in your head. That's what I, I know the problem is in your feet, but the answer is in your head. And as long as in your head you keep thinking everybody else is supposed to be doing for me, you'll never be able to walk right. And that's why some of us can't walk right now because you're mad at everybody else because you can't get change from them when you're not willing to make a change in yourself. You notice in this text, this man is expecting something from everybody except himself. And let me say this to young folk, the older you get, the less help you're going to get from people. Because while you're young, they say, oh, that's nice, they try, oh, you know, and the older you get, I don't know why y'all ain't helping me with this today. The less, you, you, the less they do for you. So you have to raise the expectation for yourself. Um, I've, been a part of, I've been a part of three churches where I, have, where I was not the pastor. I pastored St. Paul Church uh, in Terre Haute. Of course, I pastored East Star Church. But I've been a part of three other churches where I was not the pastor. And I believe that God sends us to places for a season and a reason. we got to be in tune and in touch with God because when the season and reason is up, then we need to be where God wants us to be. And sometimes some of us stay too long in a place, and other times we don't stay long enough in a place. But it's, it's just understanding a season and a reason. The first church I was a part of was Pleasant Union Church here in Indianapolis. That's my childhood church. And I believe that the season and the reason was about soteriology. Soteriology is about the understanding of salvation, the, the, the study of salvation, to know what it means to give your faith to Jesus Christ, to believe God raised it from the dead, to receive in my faith. So at Pleasant Union, as a youngster, I got soteriology. That's where I got saved. The second church I was a part of was in Dallas, Texas. When I went to, to school, uh, when I went to Bishop College, that... I joined Faithful Church when I was there, Pastor Nathan Sarge. As a matter of fact, I, a couple of years ago, I preached Pastor Sargent's 40th year of being the pastor of Faithful Church. He's still there. And um, so I believe that that season and reason for me was about theology. So I'm at Bishop College, so I'm, I'm getting my education, but I'm at the church because I still need my revelation. I got, I got, I'm going to school, that's my education. I'm going to church because that's my inspiration. And that's helping me to shape my theology. So I got soteriology, I'm saved. I got, I'm shaping my theology at Faithful. And then the third church I was a member of was Oasis of Hope. And when I graduated from college at Oasis, they, uh, Pastor Frank Alexander offered me a job to be the youth pastor. And so I, I went and worked there, and he gave me an opportunity to preach and teach and lead and to roll with him to kind of understand if I'm going to get to the next level, i got to see somebody that's already doing it. So it was an opportunity for me. Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. At, at Pleasant Union, I got soteriology. At Faithful, I got 
I helped shape my theology. At Oasis, that's where I got an opportunity. I didn't need anybody throwing money at me. Because if I got soteriology and theology and opportunity, I can make my own money. I'm trying to get you to raise your expectation. Who was it, James Brown? James Brown said, I don't need nobody giving me nothing. Just open the door. I get it for myself. And that's what I'm trying to get across us. That's what Peter is teaching this man, that you've been broken, you've been shattered, you've been fractured. We understand that. This thing was messed up when you got here. But now it's up to you to have some expectation on yourself that you can do it, you can achieve it, you can accomplish it, you can have it. But the, ant the problem is in your feet. The answer is in your head, and you got to get that expectation in your head so that you can stand on your own two Okay, uh, when, what year was it? Two, I think it was 2008, the, the Super Bowl uh, 42. That's when uh, the Patriots were playing against the Giants. So New England Patriots, New York Giants. That's the year that the Patriots went 16-0 and 0 in the regular season. They, they defeated it. They got the victory every time they stepped on the field. And then they won in the playoffs, made it to the Super Bowl, going up against uh, Eli Manning, right? Peyton's little brother, right? And so all the experts said, in, in, I ain't no expert, including me, Patriots going to kill the Giants. And, and nobody believed the Giants could win except the Giants. So they went at it, and for the first more than three and a half quarters, the experts were right. Tom Brady was killing Eli, and they, they were winning the game. I think by, by the end of the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter, it was like 14 to 10. So the Patriots were up just a little more than two minutes to go, and we're talking about not Peyton with the ball, but Eli. And I like Eli, but I like Eli, but just but two minutes to go, they, 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 they need a touchdown, but they're on their own 17. And then they got to go all the way to the other end. And so here comes the defense coming in on, on Eli. Eli did that little drop, and that defense, the Patriots came in on him and grabbed him, ready to pull him down, and somehow he was able to slip out of that. And then Eli threw the ball 40 yards in the air. And that's when David Tyree, you never heard of him before that, and you ain't heard of him since. Wide receiver goes up to catch the ball, but Rodney Harrison, the DB, is all over him. And so that's when David Tyree, with one hand, was able to catch it on his helmet. And he caught the ball and secured it on his head. Some suggest that's the greatest catch in, in, in Super Bowl history was to catch that ball on his head. A few plays later, Eli throws the ball to Plexico Burris, and then, of course, that's when the Giants won the game. But the reason they won the game and the reason they got the victory is because Tyree had enough sense to use his head. And that's my word to somebody in here. If you're going to raise your expectation, your problem may be with your finance, but your answer is in your head. Y'all ain't helping me. It's time to get up. Last one, and I'm done. If he's going to get up, uh, you got to make sure you refocus your attention. you got to make sure you raise your expectation. And then what we see here is a remarkable elevation. I started to call it a remarkable restoration, but I can't call it restoration because you can't restore something that's never been stored. Preacher, what do you mean by that? 
I mean, this man was born with the inability to walk. He couldn't walk when he got here. He was broken. When, this ain't no restoration. They didn't restore his ability to walk. He never could walk. But when he changed his mind, when he changed his thinking, when he put his attention not on his finance, but trying to get on his feet, and when he listened to Peter and John say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, the text says immediately he got up and started walking and leaping and praising God, and it said, and he held on to Peter and John. Y'all got to get this remarkable elevation. My man has been down for 40 years. Now he's able to do something he's never done before. This is not restoration. He's never been stored. You can't be restored if you've never been stored. Now he's able to do something he's never been able to do before. How is it that somebody can go from never being able to do it, now having the capability and the ability to do it? It's because this time he did it in the name of Jesus. And I'm speaking to somebody this afternoon that there's something you've never been able to accomplish. Nobody in your family has been able to accomplish it. But you have heard the voice of God speaking to your mind, speaking to your head, trying to get something through to you about what God wants to do. And prior to the day, you kept saying it cannot be done. It's never happened before. But now you're changing your mind. Now you know you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. In the name of Jesus Christ of Lazarus, rise up and walk. And some of y'all not saying amen because you think in the name of Jesus just means saying the name of Jesus. It's not just saying his name. It's in the authority of Jesus. It's in the power of Jesus. You think this man hadn't tried to walk in 40 years? Yeah, he tried to walk in 40 years, but he was so broken he couldn't do it. Then how is it he's now walking and leaping and praising God and holding on to Peter and John? Because this time he did it in the authority of Jesus. He did it in the power of Jesus. Y'all, there's power in the name of Jesus. God has so exalted him and given him a name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every time. Do I have a witness in here? You can get up in the power of Jesus Christ. And when my man got up, the text says that he went to the right place. He went to the house of God. Man, God delivered me from people that after you get them up, now they're making excuses why they don't go to your house. How are you going to talk about what Jesus did in your life and don't have enough wherewithal to go into his house and say thank you. I wish I had somebody that would testify, God's been too good to me, God raised me out of my brokenness, and that's why I come to the house of God, because I want to say thank you to the one that raised me up. He went to the right place, and then he hung around the right people. When y'all get a chance, read it. It said, he held on to Peter and John. He held on to the ones that helped him to get up. He held on to the ones that pointed him to Jesus. How in the world can you be around folk that helped you to get your life together, that helped you to turn it around, that helped you to walk in a way you haven't been able to walk? And then once you get on your feet, now you let go of God's place and God's people. I thank God this man said, no, I'm going to make sure I'm hanging out with the people of God. And he held on 
to Peter and John. Right place, right people. And then notice the progression in his life once he got on his feet. The text says that he went into the temple. He went in the church. Y'all, he had already been at church. But he's one of the best beggars in the Bible. He know how to go from church to church to get what he needs. Can you help me with my rent? Can you help me with my light bill? Then run down to another church. Can you help me with my gas bill? Then to another. He's, he's one of the best beggars in the Bible. But after he got on his feet, the text says he wasn't just at church. He's in church. And some of us have been at church long enough. At church, but not really in church. Not really plugged into Jesus. Not plugged into the Holy Spirit. Not plugged into ministry. Not plugged into giving. Not plugged into generosity. Because you just at church. But when God has been this good to you, when God raises you up, you ought to come up. And some of us are not in because we're concerned about what other folk going to say. And they did talk a bunch of mess. Read this when you get home. They, they talk a bunch of mess. Here this man been lame for 40 years, some suggest. Begging all that time, broken. Now he's walking. You can't get excited that my man is walking around, got himself together. You'd rather tear him down, tear the preachers down. They helped him get it right. And some of us, that's why we can't get plugged into ministry the way we need to. We're so concerned about what somebody else is saying. But I know I got a few of us in here that our stuff was so jacked up and so messed up and some of us was so low down. And then God got us on our feet. God raised us up. God turned this thing around. You think I care what other folk are saying about me? Y'all must not know where he brought me from. Y'all must not know how he raised me up. Somebody came up to me the other day talking about, Pastor, have you heard of so-and-so? I said, no, I ain't never heard of him. Well, he was talking about you. Well, he heard of me. I ain't heard of him. And they wanted me to get all stirred up. I said, man, listen, the moon doesn't come down to address a dog. It's the dog that's looking up to the moon. Y'all, we like the moon. We are a reflection of the Son of God. And when God helps you to shine, you ain't got to come down dealing with dogs that are barking up at you. Do I have a witness in here? And I love this. It said he was walking and he was leaping and he was praising God. I'm going out right there, praising God. Because if God's been good to you, you ought to praise him. If God helped you get up out of that brokenness, you ought to praise him. If God answered your prayer, you ought to praise him. If God gave you a hand up, you ought to pray. Is there anybody here? that no God is worthy to be praised, then give him glory in this house. Hallelujah.